So as was mentioned by Barry um, about Sanctity of Life Sunday, and I want to thank Marilyn, who's uh, the coordinator over that and making sure that there's a, a very good and informative display in the back as well as the bottles. Uh, the question could be asked, what is the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday? Well, the weekend, this weekend will mark the 38th observance of Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Today, churches across the country lament what J.D. Greer called the greatest moral tragedy of our day, the evil of abortion. And we have spent time talking about the humanity of Christ during our Christmas series, and we talked about the terms, the Greek terms, that define that there is a child, living child, living infant in the womb. We talked about John the Baptist who leaped for joy in the womb of Elizabeth when they came into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ who was in the womb of of Mary. Even it says at that time that it was the filling of the Spirit. This is just one of the many issues that believers have to fight the good fight. And that is our theme this year, fighting the good fight. Now we've Last week, we talked about fighting the good fight in behavior. That's a fight. Today, we're going to move into talking about fighting the good fight in ministry. And I really think this perhaps captures the intent of 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, which says, fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called, and you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Their faith is the idea, I believe, of objective faith. Christianity, fight the good fight of Christianity. And in 1 Timothy, there's the emphasis of in the church, in ministry. And so we want to go through this again uh, we'll, we'll be in this a couple of weeks, uh, but we have fight the good fight in behavior, fight the good fight in ministry, fight the good fight in spiritual warfare, and fight the good fight to the bitter end. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, as we come to you this morning, Lord, we know that your inspired, infallible word is before us. We know the scriptures that we're talking about. We ask you for understanding, not only for their meaning, but also for their application, also for their encouragement, since in any battle there needs to be encouragement. Father, we know that there are many areas that we need to fight, including the sanctity of life. And Father, there are many, many other areas, moral issues, difficult issues, spiritual issues, Father, that need to be dealt with. But help us understand, Father, within this context of 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, Lord, those things that you prescribe in your scriptures. Well, thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So if you remember last week, we first of all talked about the theme. Um, it is very similar to the theme that we said was the theme in 1 Timothy and we thought, well, if we're going to be going through Timothy this year, might as well uh, springboard and have this as our theme. But this theme is a little bit more general. It's not just the church. We, talk to, we want to talk about behavior and ministry and spiritual warfare and those things. So we're, we're, we're opening and broadening it, and that's what I, I want to discuss now, I, I do want you to turn in your Bibles again to 1 Timothy, but I want to go back one verse. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11. 
So verse 12 tells us to fight the good fight of faith. But in understanding what that means, you go back to the context. And verse 11 says, but flee these things. And that, I believe, begins in verse 1, those things that we are to flee. But flee these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. And so what I've decided to do, and I, I think it, it's the context, is when we talk about behavior, these are the things we're talking about that we're supposed to pursue. When we talk about fighting the good fight in ministry, uh, some of the things that's mentioned in First Timothy, like false teaching and false doctrine, that's what we're going to be talking about. But I think it also goes back all the way to verse 1, and that's what I've been doing. I've been looking at righteousness versus the way that these false teachers and others had lived. So that's my thinking, and I hope it's not the medication working, but I hope it is uh, cognizant and logical. We talked about the necessity for fighting the good fight. Why, why, why was that even mentioned, number one? Because we do still possess the sinful nature. And it is a fight. It's a battle. It's a battle to yield to the Holy Spirit, to, to yield to the indwelling Spirit. And we have the new nature. And by faith to put it into practice. We also see what's going on in our world and has gone on since the time of Christianity. And there's always those moral issues to fight. And then also, too, we have to fight the good fight because... Satan is alive and well, and we're going to talk about some of those things. Also, too, we're not just talking about fighting or having the attitude of fighting or fisticuffs. We're not talking about that. We're fighting the good fight, which is a spiritual fight, which is a noble fight. This fight has been mentioned three times in 1st Timothy and 2nd Timothy. Today we're going to talk about 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 18. So would you all turn there? I see this really particularly about ministry. In 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 18, this is where he mentions the phrase fight the good fight. He said, this command I entrust to you, Timothy, my son, in accordance with the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you might fight the good fight. The other mention of fighting the good fight, you don't have to turn there, but is in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, with Paul's last letter before he was beheaded, talked about that he was being poured out like a drink offering, thinking about his death, but he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. And of course, he was faithful, and he fought the good fight to the very end. So you could see why we choose this phrase to be our theme of Timothy, and perhaps even this year, because of the emphasis in the book of 1 Timothy. Now, let's go back to verse 12. Chapter 6, verse 12. Now, in talking about fighting the good fight of faith, we saw verse 11, the things that we are to pursue and the things that we are to flee from. And we talked about some of those things. In fact, last week we talked about righteousness, that we are to fight the good fight of righteousness. And I see this in not only the battle of righteousness, but also in our own lives to live after the Lord and follow him, which goes in line with the next one we talked about was godliness. And godliness, though we want to say it means to live like God or Christ-like character, and I'm not opposed to that, but godliness means worship well. 
your worship affects your life and your behavior. Well, we didn't finish the next one, which was faith. And this has to do, again, with fighting the good fight. Now, a little bit of distinguishing here. We had said in verse 12, where it says, fight the good fight of faith. There, I believe that it's objective, objective faith. Christianity, the faith, fight that fight. But in verse 11, it's subjective. It's talking about one's personal faith. You're growing in your personal righteousness, your personal godliness, your personal love, and your personal faith. So I want to take a moment and just finish up on our behavior looking at the Christian's faith rather than the Christian faith. So here we see this idea of faith, and we have to grow in faith, and we have to pursue faith. Now, faith begins, does it not, with salvation. And over in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, it's mentioned by Paul. Paul says, For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. So before we start talking about fighting any good fight, there needs to be salvation. And so we can hear the message, but have we ever responded to the message? In other words, we can know that we are sinners. We can know that we're separated from God. We can know that Christ died on the cross for our sins. But have we ever come to him in faith? Have we ever trusted him alone as our Savior? And that would be my first application. If you don't know Christ and you're here, none of this matters. You, there is no fight. You're in the devil's camp, know it or not. You're in the world. But if you come to Christ, your sins are forgiven. You have eternal life. You are transferred from the world to the kingdom of the Son. And then you are part of the good fight and the battle. Now, what I was thinking about also with faith <clears throat> We have to have faith to live the Christian life. We have to have faith in the empowerment. We've been talking a lot about this recently. Uh, we've talked about spiritual baptism. Romans chapter 6. The old man dying and the new man living his life in us and through us. That is Romans chapter 6. But if we don't... Uh, understand that, if we don't believe that, if we don't reckon it by faith, then indeed we need to grow in that faith. I would ask you to turn to Romans chapter 6 for just a moment. <clears throat> in Romans chapter 6, and I'm just going to look at verses 11 through 13, because this is what it boils down to. And, you know, I just really appreciated Rob's song because I thought, man, that's Romans 6. That's exactly right. You know, we, we are a new man in Christ. This has been done positionally, and then we are asked to do it conditionally. Romans chapter 6, verse 11 says, Even so, consider, consider, mark that word, Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, the old man dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is what God has done for us the moment we came to faith in his son. Now, we have to appropriate that. That's where the faith comes in. Notice the word consider. In some versions, it's the word reckon. Now, we understand reckon out here in the West, only it's not the same kind of reckon, I reckon. It is, the word means count a fact as a fact. Doesn't matter if you don't feel like a new man or like the new nature, the indwelling Holy Spirit. You don't really feel all those things anyway. It's, it's, the Christian life is by faith. You are to, by faith, count a fact as a fact. Well, why should I count it as a fact? Because the inspired, infallible word of God tells us so. 
And that's a more sure foundation than anything else that you could see in this life. And so consider yourselves dead to sin. So the idea is that we still have the sinful nature, but the power has been cut off, believe it or not. And now we are alive unto him and we can live unto him by the indwelling Holy Spirit, by the new nature. And so these things take faith to consider it. Look at verse 12. As a result then, therefore, if that's true and you're reckoning it true, do not, you, do not, you, stop letting it. You do not, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. You can, for the first time in your life, literally say no to sin, mean it, and have it, have it controlled, have victory over it. It's not because my iron will. It is because the word of God tells us so. And then in verse 13, it says, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, as if we're going to keep living for sin. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. And so this is who we are, the new man. And we put the old man to death in a practical way and we live in the new life, but it is by faith. And by the way, Paul in 2 Timothy is telling Timothy, now you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, patience, love, perseverance, and faith and faith. And so we see the faith that we ought to have in pursuing these things and pursuing righteousness and pursuing godliness. It's not dependent upon me. It's dependent upon the Holy Spirit. All things have been given to us for life and godliness. Um, All things have been provided both to will and to do, but I must step out in faith, the exercise of faith. And all those other things that we are supposed to flee from, this is one of the things we are supposed to pursue. We are to pursue this faith. So with that, I'm thinking these are the things that we fight the good fight in behavior. And now I want to move to the next point. It'll be the main point for the remainder of this sermon, fighting the good fight in ministry. This is another area where we need to fight the good fight. And I think it's one of the main ideas from the book of 1 Timothy. As I mentioned, 1 Timothy 1 verse 18, and I will have you turn there again. I think this verse really outlines and highlights fighting the good fight in ministry. We fight the good fight in behavior because the old man wants to raise his ugly head and cause us to sin, but we say no We fight that fight. Now the next fight that we're fighting is ministry. By the way, when I say ministry, I mean every believer. You may not be in what is termed as the full-time Christian service, but you are a full-time Christian and your ministry is full-time. You are a testimony for the Lord. The Lord has you where he has you to be a testimony. You are in full-time Christian service. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, we have to kind of work our way through it like we did with verse 12 of chapter 6. He writes to him, This command I entrust to you, Timothy. He says, My son, Timothy, my son. We believe that Paul was instrumental in bringing Timothy to Christ. And then he says, In, cord- in accordance with the prophecies, previously made concerning you and that by them by those things you fight the good fight well if you remember we did go through this and we did talk about this and so when we think about these prophecies we're thinking of prophetic utterances that at that time the holy spirit would give to certain individuals and it would be divinely revealed now what was it Well, it doesn't say exactly, 
but we can surmise with the hints in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy that he's talking about the spiritual gifts that Timothy has and the call to ministry that Timothy was given. We're talking about spiritual gifts and we're talking about his call to ministry. Now, let me first ask the question, well, who were the ones that gave him this, these prophecies or prophetic utterances? Well, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, which we haven't gotten there yet, Paul says, do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you through prophetic utterance with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Who were they? We're thinking that they were the elder board. Now, as an elder board, we have laid hands on individuals, but it is, it is a, a, an external formality, uh, our love. We are, we are not giving them any spiritual gifts. Uh, we are not doing anything uh, mystical. Um, but here we see that, that we, this involves somehow spiritual gifts. And by many who have talked about this, this uh, section, it's not so much that they've given him a spiritual gift, they've confirmed it. They affirmed it. We see this in you. And by the way, we talked about this in our introduction. We see that phrase that says about Timothy is so timid. Well, he was, but, but he was also bold. We find out that his spiritual gifts included evangelism. That's what he says in 2 Timothy 4, 5. He says, but you be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. And by the way, is that not what he means when he says fight the good fight? But he mentions e e evangelism there. We see Timothy uh, in his ministry. We followed his ministry from beginning with Paul uh, all the way to the book of 2 Timothy. And we see him not only teaching uh, the churches, but even going out in missions to teach various churches. And now he has been left at Ephesus to be the pastor. So we see the gift of pastor-teacher. We see his leadership, and we see all of these things. Yes, he was timid at times, but he was also bold, and he grew in Christ. Kind of reminds me of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah has wept. And I, I understand that. I understand that man had just a, a heart and a concern, but we would never call him a crybaby. Because even though they threatened him by death numerous times, never did he give in. Always preached and gave the prophecy that God had given them. Even when there were false prophets coming and saying the opposite, and the king and the people, the officials were saying, get rid of Jeremiah. And yet he was the only one with the true prophecy and never at all gave in. So Timothy is not, we have to just be careful that we don't make Timothy a crybaby either. Um, I mean, these things, we, we see these things in his life. And I think, I think it was an affirmation of these spiritual gifts. But I also think it was an affirmation of his call. Um, you know, we, we kind of decide someone's call now as to their life, their behavior, their testimony. Uh, them using those gifts and we're seeing, you know, some results from that. We see that, you know, it seems that the Lord is with them when they do those spiritual gifts. And we also see that it ministers to others. That's kind of how we determine it today. But in that time, in this transitional time, here's this young man. Paul wants him to go with him. Is it right? Is it the Lord's will? And we see indeed that it was. Um, we see indeed that I believe it was this affirmation. Let me just read Acts 16. Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and this is his second time, second missionary journey, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And by the way, we believe that on his first missionary journey, that is when Timothy uh, became a believer. Paul led him to the Lord, quite possibly. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. There's the there is the testimony, and it would be testimony not just 
good behavior, but testimony of being involved in ministry, some ministry. Verse 3, Paul wanted this man to go with him. And I'll just stop there. He wanted him to go with the ministry. You know, we're talking about, remember, there was Barnabas at one time. There was Silas at one time. I mean, these are, these are serious things in this, this uh, very early mission field that Paul was especially called to. What about Timothy? Should he go? Well, I believe these prophecies, these prophetic utterances affirmed that he should be. So we are talking about ministry, and this verse does fit well. Fight the good fight. These prophecies of your spiritual gifts, these prophecies of your call to ministry, now that you know about them, fight the good fight. Fight the good fight in ministry. Now also as we look at this, it says fight the good fight. Same word for good that's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. It's, it means noble. It's, it's uh, not just beneficial, but, but in its character, it is good. It is a spiritual fight. It's a good fight. What is a little different is the word fight. And we said that the word fight in verse 12 of chapter 6 was uh, where we get our English word agonize from it, to, to agonize. And that would be used uh, both with soldiers, but it would also have been used in the Greek Olympic Games where you're agonizing and, and, and struggling with it. I, I think this word here uh, helps us identify that it's more than just a competition uh, at the Olympic Games. This word really does emphasize a soldier. It emphasizes uh, a soldier. The, the Greek word is strateia. And it, it emphasizes military service as a soldier. It uh, is talking about spiritual warfare. In, in one verse, 2 Corinthians, it says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. That's the word there. We do not war according to the flesh. We'll talk more about spiritual warfare next week. It says, Who at any time serves as a soldier... That's the word, at his own expense. So here we do get the idea of this, this fighting going on. And, and, and it, is, it is, you know, the agony. We're, we're pursuing the wreath. The, the, uh, we're pursuing the crowns. There's no doubt about that. But it also is battle. It also is battle. But when he says fight the good fight, we are certainly talking about um, we are certainly talking about this idea of it's an exhortation, an admonition. You must fight the good fight, and it is in the present tense, though it is not an imperative. But it is that you might keep on fighting the good fight. So, as we're looking at this. Believers must fight the good fight, not only in behavior, but in ministry, but in ministry as well. And by the way, you remember one of the purposes for 1 Timothy? Paul left him there in Ephesus. Uh, one of the reasons was to straighten out these false teachers. But he says, but in case I am delayed, I write so that you will know how one ought to conduct himself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. So it is ministry. There definitely is an emphasis there. Well, let's go back to those things that we should pursue in verse 11. So we've already looked at pursuing righteousness, godliness, and faith, but I want to go back to faith. As I said there are many aspects to the word faith. It can mean your own personal faith, sub, sub, subjective, or it could be objective faith, the faith. And that's what he uses, I believe, in verse 12, fight the good fight of the faith. The article is there in the Greek. He, he does talk a lot a bit about the faith. 
So we not only fight and grow in our own personal faith, but the battle does come in ministry to, to fight the good fight of Christianity, of the faith. And one of the first things that we see is we fight the good fight in regard to false doctrine. This almost is almost at the very beginning. This is almost one of the things that you, you really think of. I mean, you come to Christ and then you want to grow in Christ. You want to grow in the word, but you always want to be on guard for false teaching coming into our own lives or into our church. Now, at this point, um, I want to just mention a few verses in Timothy that talk about these things. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, you don't have to turn there, but I find this so interesting. I know it's a lot of verses, but I can't help it. I can't help it. It's so good. This is what he says, Paul to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, but the Spirit explicitly says that in latter times, some will fall away from the faith, the faith, Christianity, paying attention to deceitful spirits, spiritual warfare there, and doctrines, doctrines of demons. Spiritual warfare there, we'll talk more about it, but notice doctrines, false doctrine coming in. He goes on to say, in pointing these things out, you know, we, we've already taken flack, Christians have, I believe even this church for, you know, you, you shouldn't be negative, you shouldn't at times point out false doctrine or teaching these things. Well, later on in the same chapter, Paul writes, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and of the sound doctrine which you have been following. And so it behooves us to understand doctrine, which is nothing more than biblical teaching, nothing more than systematizing. When we talk about the doctrine of the deity of Jesus Christ, what is that? Well, you begin and you look at all of the passages that indeed affirm the deity of Jesus Christ. And it's very clear and in a lot of scripture. All right, I do want you to turn to 1 Timothy 6. I know a lot of scriptures, but you know, this is a Bible church, and it's what we do, and it's okay, it's okay. 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at verse 3. Now, these are some of the things that we are to flee, and we talked about what those were last week, what we're supposed to flee, but look here in verse 3 of some of the things we're supposed to flee or guard against. He says, if anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, verse 4, he is conceited and understands nothing. Wow. Is that just plain being dogmatic? No, the Apostle Paul is God's chosen spokesman. He's an apostle of, of inerrant truth in his writing and in his preaching. But the false teacher is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words, out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, evil suspicions. That's why false doctrine needs to be left out there and not within the church. And verse 5, and constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. And that last part we talked about last week, godliness as a means of gain which it is not, and yet some people are in the ministry because they think it's lucrative. And it can be in the sense of when a man, a warped man, is in the ministry to try to get money from God's people who so generously will give to God's work. But getting back now to verse 3, 
about advocating a different doctrine. And at some point, it even talks about if, if someone disagrees with a doctrine or a teaching, at some point, uh, and if they refuse to, to hear it, uh, put them out. Put them out. Well, the, we're talking about fighting the good fight, and here's false doctrine, so let's, let's just nail it. Believers must always fight the good fight against false doctrine. But you guys are so negative. And by the way, we don't always talk about false doctrine. But I'll tell you what I do do. I preach the word of God, and the subject comes up a lot. The subject comes up a lot about false teaching. Almost every epistle, there's something in there about false teaching. Do you think we need to major in that? We do. Which means we also have to teach true doctrine, biblical doctrine. But believers must always fight the good fight against false doctrine. That's one of the things we're talking about. Now, as we move on in this, just picking some of these things apart, a different doctrine, they, they call that heterodoxy. Now, orthodoxy is the true biblical doctrine, but hetero means different. They're preaching something different than, than what the apostles have taught and what the apostles have wrote. And they don't agree with sound words. They don't agree with the sound teaching. But he notice he says this, though. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine conforming to godliness... And with the doctrine conforming to godliness. Numerous times in the New Testament, it becomes very clear that false teachers with false doctrine often have ungodly behavior. In fact, it's almost one of the reasons why there's false doctrines in some instances where a person with ungodliness is pursuing doctrine and ministry for the wrong reasons. But Paul says, look, you need to preach sound doctrine because sound doctrine produces sound behavior. All right, so now we're talking about behavior again, but it's not me, it's Paul. He's saying, look, this is why doctrine is so important. And so we have to fight the good fight not only in behavior, but in having the right doctrine. And then the right doctrine so that we have the right behavior. How about Peter? Second Peter, when he writes, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly, that's why you have to be on guard, secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. You see how correct doctrine leads in correct behavior. And that's so interesting there. And then you would think, too, as, you're, as we're talking about the things we're supposed to flee from, but rather pursue righteousness, godliness, and faith. He says in verse 4, this man is conceited. He understands nothing, but he's conceited. He's a legend in his own mind. He has a morbid interest in controversial questions. He's not interested in solidifying the faith of God's people. He's interested in unsettling the faith of God's people with disputes about words and controversial things and getting everybody off kilter. He says, out of which arises envy and strife, abusive language, evil suspicion within the church. That's why we are on guard for false teaching. And, and then you go to verse 5. He says, and then constant friction between men of depraved mind and depraved deprived of the truth and it's the idea that now there is an unsettling of the faith in the church but there's also an unsettling of peace within the church causing divisions in the church which is another thing that you cannot do that's one of the things that can bring about church discipline 
And so believers must fight the good fight. Not only in the right beliefs, but also in the right behavior. Not only in the right behavior, but also in the right beliefs. And we must preserve the unity of the Spirit. One of our themes. And we don't sacrifice doctrine for it. We don't sacrifice that. We're not talking about, well, we're just going to hold hands and we're just going to all agree to disagree on every doctrine. That is not what we're called to do. We are called to fight the good fight. Well, some people could be offended. Yes, they might. We don't want them to be offended. We would try to speak to them in a loving way, but we at no time back off from our beliefs. No, no way. No way. It is a fight. So believers must also fight the good fight of preserving the unity of the Spirit with the Spirit's teaching. Well, the next one we come to then in that list in verse 11, which we don't have to turn there, is love. He tells us to pursue love. And the idea is, it's kind of interesting. Uh, the word flee is to, f- to flee from and avoid. The word pursue is to go after. So there's things in the Christian life we, we avoid, run from, but there's things in the Christian lives we run to, and love is one of them. And we talked about love this morning because we're studying the Holy Spirit. We're now talking about the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and love is the very first one. And we find ourselves talking about love whenever you preach the New Testament because love keeps coming up over and over In fact, one of my favorite verses, in fact, it was a theme one year here at Grace Bible Church, was 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. Would you just turn there? All right. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, and by the way, Paul was contrasting himself here with false teachers. Timothy was there to set them straight. And then he says, but the goal of our instruction, Paul's teaching, Timothy's preaching, the goal of our instruction is love. It does come down to love. Now he goes on to say, from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith, all of which we've talked about Uh, already when we went through chapter one but the goal of our instruction is love which also suggests that the goal of the instruction of false teachers is not love it is bondage it is dominance it is to lead them astray and objectively very possibly lead them to hell but as we're pursuing love now (laughs) And by the way, this is, this is good. I mean, I mean, we see the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We see the love and gentleness of him and the Apostle Paul. And yet there were times when they rebuked and they repu- re- reproved false teachers. So to have love, to have gentleness, doesn't mean that I just let go of being dogmatic about what I believe is true. It doesn't mean that at all doesn't mean that at all. When we think about pursuing love, what, what would we think of? What, how should we pursue that? Well, it would mean first and foremost, would it not, love for God. You know, here in his love, not that we loved him, but that he first loved us. That, that's true love. By the way, it's not as though we loved him originally. We were sinners. And it says, you know, we, we were in enmity, shaking our fist at him. And even then... While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is love. That's the greatest demonstration of love. And that is the love that he has. And that is the love that we are to emulate and give back and reciprocate to him. Thank you, Lord, for saving me a sinner. And then we see love also for others. We're going to talk about that just in a little bit. And love is mentioned somewhat of a superlative in the New Testament. Not that love is his only attribute, not that love is greater than any other attribute, but in what we need in the New Testament, what we needed in the Old Testament was to understand his holiness. 
now that we understand holiness and that we're sinners, now we need love, the love of God in Christ. But we see it as a superlative. But now faith, hope, love abide these three, but the greatest of these is love. We see this love demonstrated on the cross, and we see this as one of God's attributes. Um, 1 John 4, 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God. If he, and then it says, For God is love. Now again, that's not his only attribute, but the Holy Spirit is attempting to produce his fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Love, he's producing, trying to produce his fruit in us. And so it behooves us to say, there's got to be love going on. Okay, you know, we haven't arrived yet, okay? It isn't always perfect love. But we're, but we're pushing towards this. We're pursuing it. This is what we do as believers, and that's the fight. We fight the good fight as we pursue love. And specifically, because the goal of our teaching is love. This is the character of Christ. This is what he commands us, that we love one another as he loves us. He tells us that it's a mark to see whether you're his disciple or not. By this, that is love for one another, by this all men will know. They'll see your testimony, they'll see your life, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, how does this have to do with ministry? It does have to do with behavior, doesn't it? And, you know, we're just never going to really divorce ourselves from behavior. You know, no matter what we're talking about here, we're never going to divorce ourselves from behavior, nor should we. And thanks to the Apostle Paul, the great theologian, who just has the greatest practical heart and gives you application as well. But we are to build one another up in love. That's our ministry. We're building one another up. You're building this church with your gifts and your ministry. You're building them up spiritually. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. And it wasn't all that long ago, certainly within the same decade, it really wasn't that long ago that we studied the book of Ephesians. No, not that long at all. And it begins with this, which I love. Verse 15, Ephesians 4, verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, this is how we minister. Now, I know sometimes in preaching it's strong, and I know sometimes there's a strong message. And I know, that, as I said before, Scripture is, 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 is practical for teaching, but also for reproof. And so it is strong, but it's to be done in a spirit of love, and it's a balance. Sometimes we're really good about the truth, knocking people over the head with the Bible, but that's not right. We need to have love. Some people are good with love, but not biblical teaching and the truth. We have to speak the truth in love. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. This is spiritual growth, maturity, sanctification. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Verse 16, and I love this. From whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies, thinking of your spiritual gifts, thinking of the ministry that you're involved in. And, and we are all involved in full-time ministry in one sense or another. According to the proper working of each individual part, it's only going to grow if we're all doing our part in ministry, if we're fighting the good fight in ministry. And it's a good fight. I'm not talking about fighting with each other. I'm talking about fighting the good fight in ministry. Working of each individual part, everybody doing their part, causes the growth of the body. Spiritually, we're growing, we're maturing, we're discerning to keep false teaching out. We're discerning in knowing what truth is. It says, for the building up of itself, 
The building, this is how the body builds itself up. And then do you notice? For the building up of itself in love. The goal of our instruction is love. The end goal is love, the love of Christ. The method is, is, is love, speaking the truth in love. And it is ministering in love. And this is what we do and how we are to do it. So pursuing love, I am putting under the category of ministry because that's how we ought to do it and that's our goal. It's also our behavior, but believers must fight the good fight on having love as our goal in teaching as well as our conduct. There are a lot of things to fight the good fight. There are, you know, we really even haven't begun to talk about the things that are outside in the world. Even why today we're so glad that this is Sanctity of Life Sunday. Abortion and those things and morality. Oh my word, what a fight. But here we are, we're thinking about this ministry. We're thinking of the ministry here in the church. And I think it, it spills over when we're out in the world. Those conversations come up from unbelievers, and we're learning about these things, and we have something to say about it. Now, they may not exactly want to hear it, but we do have an obligation to say, to speak the truth in love. Now, the next one is going to be perseverance, which I'm going to hold out on to the very last section, fighting the good fight to the end. That's perseverance. We'll, we'll pick that up then. But I will go to the one that is gentleness. Is gentleness a part of ministry? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Uh, it's the character of Christ. Uh, you remember Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, 29, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It's a fruit of the Spirit. We're going to get the gentle, gentleness uh, in our study of the Holy Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. What is gentleness? Well, gentleness is not weakness. Um, that's the wrong way, you know, and I think the world had something to do with the change of that, of what it really means. It's not weakness, but it's strength. It's strength in gently ministering to another. It's gently but strongly helping someone else grow in their Christian life. It is gently but dogmatically not letting false doctrine into the church and being able to talk to people about it. It definitely is involved in ministry. One writes that it's strength that accommodates another's weakness. It is the opposite of an overbearing attitude and exhibits kindness and consideration. We ought to have that because that's the character of Christ, but we ought to have that in ministry. First example is 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, and you can turn there if you'd like. If not, I'll be gentle with you. That's okay. Um, but we can apply it to a defense for the faith. We can apply it to apologetics. 1 Peter 3, 15 says, But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence, reverence of the truth and gentleness. It's also used in service. Paul in 2 Timothy, and this is why this was read in our scripture verse, 2 Timothy chapter 2, 24 and 25, and now I do want you to turn to that. 2 Timothy Chapter 2, begin in verse 24. It's a necessary quality of those who desire to be servants of the Lord. And you all are servants of the Lord. You all are in some ministry. 
or supposed to be. You are all uh, a believer, full-time, and, and, and the ministry could be your own family and ought to be your family. Could be your neighborhood and ought to be your neighbors. But I, as a pastor of Grace Bible, would say I would argue also for in the church. But what about that servant of the Lord? Well, look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24. Paul writes, the Lord's bondservant. So we're talking about those who serve the Lord. And bondservant is, is not a negative title. It's an honorable title. The writers of the New Testament call themselves a bondservant of Jesus Christ. It means a slave. Well, that's terrible. No, it's not. When Christ is our master, and by the way, he owns us according to Scripture, and we are to obey him. The Lord's bondservant, and here he goes. This is, this is what we do in ministry. This is how we act in ministry, or should. The, the Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome. So we're not quarreling all the time. Now, I know there's discussion, and I think at times very healthy discussion as we're talking about these things. But that's not what quarreling is. You know what quarreling is. I know what quarreling is. And, and, and we're not to do that. Uh, literally, it means fight. We're not to fight. And, uh, you know, uh, I've, I've, heard of, I've heard of business meetings. We're about to have one. But I've heard of business meetings where church members are fighting. And, and, and step outside. Step outside. Really? Really? Now, not that I don't understand the flesh, okay? Not that I don't know, but within the church, within the church where Jesus Christ is the head, the cornerstone, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to, we're going to pass this bill one way or another, this policy, <laughs> but it, not quarrelsome. But here you go. But be kind to all. We're kind. Kindness, able to teach. And this is a matter of knowledge, of knowing what the scripture says and being able to share what the scripture says. Someone may say, well, I don't have the gift of teaching. Well, that's not what this means here. It means able to teach. You are able to put together what you've learned in scripture and say something about it. And then he says, patient when wronged. And patience means a long fuse. Not a short fuse. Where, where, where do you, what store do you go to, to to get longer fuses so you can put them on your patients? Well, it comes from the Holy Spirit. That's another fruit of the Holy Spirit, of yielding to him. But patient when wronged. Well, you wronged me. And then it says, with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition. And I think the context here is unbelievers, because he says, if perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. So I think he's talking about unbelievers here. But, but I think it goes across the board even when we're ministering in, in the body. Uh, the same principle, you know, we might find more grace in the church. They may put up with us a lot more than the world does, but we're not to be like this. And so with gentleness correcting them. And, and, and by the way, while we're talking about that kind of gentleness and while we're talking about that kind of thing, you want to talk about the church, um, I think of Galatians 6.1, where it does talk about someone caught in a sin within the church. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, talking to you, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. There is a beauty to the character of Christ. There is a beauty to Christianity, and we are to pursue it, and we are to fight the good fight in ministry. Goes on to say, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Wise and humble, but gentleness, gentleness in ministry. So believers, 
must fight the good fight by maintaining a spirit of gentleness in ministry. Some practical thoughts. And it was kind of interesting as I had a lot of practical thoughts. I was going to share them today. I, I said, man, those, those go better with fighting the good fight to the end, perseverance. So a lot of those got shelved. But Here's, here's what we do have. Turn with me to 2 Timothy, and we'll, we'll, we'll use this as our closing. 2 Timothy, chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. By the way, verse 3, he's going to say, Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier, as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So it's within fighting the good fight. This is this is why this this theme keeps coming up when you're studying the book of Timothy. He just keeps making these metaphors. But here's verse 2. The things which you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And so first of all when we're thinking of fighting the good fight, it means teaching. Teaching is involved in fighting the good fight. In fact, I think it's one of the main ones. I think one of the main parts of spiritual warfare is getting us to go off of the truth. So it's teaching. And Paul says here, you've heard uh, me. You've heard my teaching. Timothy, you go. You teach these things. And, and, and then he talks about entrusting it to faithful men. By the way, that would assume that Paul is faithful and that would assume that Timothy is faithful. You, he's got to be faithful even before he passes them on to other faithful believers. This is in fighting the good fight. Then we come to verse 3. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. He talks about a soldier that's fighting the good fight, but here he talks about suffering. He talks about suffering hardship. And this is what I was going to talk about, but if nothing else, uh, one of the things I was going to say was there's all kinds of areas, I, all kinds of difficulties you can find in ministry. Um, you know, uh, people may not agree with you, um, that kind of thing. People may not do what you want them to do, may not go according to what you want. Well, you're suffering hardship there. Or just being involved in ministry and, and having persecution against you. I'm going to preach the whole thing, aren't I? You know, this is suffering hardship. But I also put in there physical pain. You know, Paul experienced some of these physical things, some of it due to persecution but but that's hardship and even though even though it hurts you're still pursuing it you're still pursuing it you know I don't know if it was the first week but it was like the first few weeks that I was here I don't know what happened but the flu hit me and I knew I was sick and I began to preach and I just said I just I just want you to know that if I get sick and I mean having to you know hurl the technical word, Greek. Uh, if I have to hurl, I said, I'm leaving. And lo and behold, in the middle of the service, I, j I got off the pulpit. I started walking. I said, Darlene, let's go. And I grabbed the trash can out there. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's bad enough that I was sick. But I'm thinking of myself that, oh, my word, you know, what do they think? They got a pastor who isn't going to suffer, you know. But it, 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 takes, it takes a lot to keep me from preaching in the pulpit, and, and so far, not even sciatica, which I would appreciate your prayers. But then there's emotional, there's emotional difficulty. You're going through personality. We'll talk all about that. But, but these are the things that also are involved in hardship, but we're supposed to fight the good fight as good soldiers. Same word, good soldier in a good fight of Christ Jesus. And then he says, Last verse, no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life so that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. 
We have to be dedicated. We have to be spiritually minded. And at times we even have to sacrifice. Believers must fight the good fight even when suffering hardship for the sake of ministry. So I hope there's some good applications here for us to take home. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's good to be reminded that we're in the midst of the battle. The truth is, Lord, that your blessings abound. I'm not saying that we're problem-free as individuals, as Christians, or as a church. But Lord, more than, more than the difficulties, we feel the blessings, a slice of heaven, we even call it. And so it's good for us to be reminded that we are in a battle. But it's a good fight, but we are commanded to fight, to agonize, and to battle as a soldier the good fight of the faith and even in ministry. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.